0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Books Network, New Books in Public Policy podcast. My name is Dr. Ursula Hackett, and today I'm delighted to welcome Professor Craig Walden, of the University of Virginia, who, along with Professor Charles Shippen, has authored the book Why Bad Policies Spread and Good Ones Don't, which was published by Cambridge University Press in its Elements in American Politics series in 2021.
0: Welcome to the show, Craig. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks very much for having me here.
1: So I absolutely love these Elements books because they've got these huge sort of timely topical questions within these very slim, accessible volumes. I I think this this book of yours um, really combines all of those, those those elements. Yeah, that's got this great authority, but also that accessibility and timeliness, of course. You're starting with the pandemic and you're ending with the pandemic, but you range over this wide set of public policy issues um, and offer some practical lessons for policymakers around the country. Um, so I wanted just to start off, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you and Charles came to this particular project.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, as you mentioned, I'm at the University of Virginia in the Batten School of Leadership and Public Policy. Um, and I'm classically a political scientist, uh, and so, really interested in questions of the politics that lead to various public policies. Um, And so that's led me down a variety of roads. I've done a lot of work recently within legislatures, thinking about who are the folks who get a lot done um, within those legislatures, but I'm very interested in across institutions like within American federalism or from state to state country to country, uh, the degree to which uh, policies uh, might spread, um, and that's been a, a long interest for both me and for Chuck uh, at Michigan. Um, we've hmm, now probably for two decades worked together on a variety of projects, um, and. Um, over that time had endless discussions uh, about how uh, the politics behind the spread of policies actually work. Um, And then this uh, opportunity is, uh, I think, you know, I'm as big a fan of the element series as you are from the point of view that it's shorter than a traditional book um but longer than a normal article and so it allows you to do various things that one couldn't accomplish elsewhere um and in this particular take uh, we decided to take a different angle uh, which is something more normative uh usually we're describing what happens uh and now we're having this overlay of you know, is that for the best uh, or not? Uh, And this series uh, invites that uh, as one possibility.
1: So you have this very provocative title, um, Why Bad Policies Spread and Good Ones Don't. So what is the difference then between good and bad policies
0: in your um, right. So, yeah, I mean, initially we had to think, uh, what do we mean by good public policies, right? And everyone has different views and, you know, in hot debates about whether we should be masked or vaccinated and so on. There are very different sides here. Um, and so we wrestled with that quite a while. That could have been its own book, of course. Um, but uh, but we started with kind of the classic if one's in a policy school, how do you think about evaluating policies? You would do cost benefit uh, sorts of analyses. Um, and yet we didn't want to limit ourselves uh, to just talking about policies that have been deeply analyzed in you know every country or every state uh, across the US or uh, or those. And so we extended our definition a little bit uh, there beyond just those that uh, have benefits that exceed costs uh, to also consider you know, what, what was the program trying to accomplish? Did it uh, meet the goals that the proponents uh, were setting out to meet? Um, you know, is it, you know, how would we situate it in the broader uh, initiative of what, uh, what policymakers are trying to achieve? And that allows us to say, you know, over time, uh, we're struggling with a lot of policy challenges. Um, you know, are we adopting ones that are making a difference you know, putting a dent in those and moving us forward, or are we adopting those that you know don't have that evidence and, and seem to be based on something else, maybe political considerations?
1: Would you say that innovative policies are usually good ones?
0: Um, so I would define innovative uh, in the kind of the classic policy diffusion literature. Any, in- innovative is anything that's new to you. In that, Um, and I personally have tried a lot of things that were new to me that weren't so good, uh, and many that were uh, were uh, quite favorable. And continued on with those, and kind of the way we think about this is more at the process level. Uh, that idea of experimenting trying a variety of things that we haven't tried before um, and then ultimately let's keep the ones that are working well uh, let's abandon the ones that are working poorly and, and maybe we can even learn from one another there um, you know it's 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 innovative and it's worked well for somebody else uh, for some other government other country other state um, and you know let's give it a try in our case as well um, kind of the 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 hope and positive version that we have floating through here uh, would be yeah, that the, that there is this possibility uh, that a bunch of governments could try things, they could experiment, uh, and uh, others could learn from them. And the good policies then spread, uh, and the bad policies don't. Uh, that's the exact opposite of our title, though, so I want to dive into where, where things can go wrong along those lines.
1: It's a pretty good hook. You can't deny um, as, a ti- as titles go, it's, it's, it's pretty eye-catching. And, I mean, I was just wondering about how that, um, the, the, the directionality question, because you've, you've got this. Um, so you're saying that for good policies to spread, you have to have learning processes going on. Maybe we could talk a bit about more of these different processes that you're describing taking place with respect to diffusion between states and between state and federal governments. Um, so if, for good policies to spread, you have to have that kind of learning um, or pretty much all the time. But is the reverse true? So, you know, if um, states do learn from one another, does that always produce good policy and push out bad policy, according to your definitions there? I'm thinking here about policies like welfare, right, where policy policymakers might learn about ways to cut welfare roles um um not necessarily help people into meaningful work but to reduce you know or reducing work poverty or other goals that we might think are the more meaningful substantive ones but ways that can kind of massage those figures so i'm just wondering you know where situations where that's that sort of the measure comes to the stand for the end goal and whether uh, the, there might be learning taking place there that doesn't necessarily result in good policy according to uh, the, the, the ways that you guys set out there. Is it, is it both a sufficient condition for good policies as well as a necessary one, would you say?
0: Well, one of the lovely parts about social science is there are very few absolutes. Right. Um, And so when we're talking, we're talking in shades of gray from, hey, this was really horrible to this was really quite good, um, but no absolutes there. In terms of how we think about where it's much more likely uh, to have good policies spread, that learning would take place. And we kind of lay out the ingredients for that learning uh, as we go along. You know, We need these experiments and they have to be observable so that we could potentially learn from one another. There has to be the time to to learn, um, which is not always available when we need to quickly respond to a crisis. We might not take that time, and that's an uh, you know, a possibility where learning could go wrong. Uh, and then uh, we need to have kind of the expertise to learn and the incentives to learn. And the by the incentives, I think that's where we're getting into what you were just dealing with. The incentives there uh, would be to learn whether something is a good policy and whether it's applicable and whether it could spread. Um, but those incentives aren't always for uh, those purposes. Sometimes the incentives are for cost-cutting at all, uh, you know, at all means. Um, you know, sometimes, that's for, oh, that was really great. It helped you get elect- reelected uh, rather than it was great. It served, uh, served the people well in, in some particular policy area. Um, and so what we lay out is this idea that learning-based policy diffusion, the spread of, uh, spread of policies um, is probably the best case one could put forward for uh, where things could go well. Uh, And we lay that out and we say that definitely happens. Uh, And then we can point to many, many policy areas where that does happen. And then, you know, we dive into the flip side. Um, And the flip side is the 18 things that we list in the book that could go wrong uh, along the way in some big categories there. Uh, And I think you touched a little bit on some of those.
1: So tell me, uh, can you give us a little overview of some of those obstacles to uh, learning and, and 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 creating good policy and having that good policy diffuse between jurisdictions? I mean, what would you say are the biggest obstacles?
0: Yeah, so uh, um, we, we kind of bend them into four groups, um, and so one of the groups is what we refer to as policy attributes. Um, there, we just say we know policies are very different from one another. Some of them are so complex. Uh, that we can't have that learning at a very easy level, or if we do have learning, one has to spend a lot of resources to dive into uh, those policies. Some are not very observable. It seems like, uh, you know, we're. Saving for a rainy day in some policies, but if that rainy day isn't coming, uh, we don't know if the policy is working or not. Um, one could imagine some sort of, you know, welfare reform that looks fantastic during, you know, good times, but then when a recession hits or or something comes along, um, you know, we haven't had a chance to observe that, despite the fact that it has spread rapidly. We raise uh, the idea of various tough-on-crime policies uh, that spread across the U.S. states, uh, as everybody wanted, uh, as an elected politician to. Look Look tough on crime um, and yet uh, the effects of those policies aren't seen until you know after someone has spent some time in jail uh, and uh, and they're released do we see higher recidivism rates we, we didn't even know what the effects of these policies were for a good decade and yet they had spread so rapidly so the, the attributes of the policies was one of the bins where we had some concerns. Uh, The second one, and and we've touched on this a little bit already, is the the biased political incentives uh, that we see from time to time. You know, the the idea that, um, you know, you know, politicians who are making a lot of these decisions are are often thinking about the next election. And that next election is coming pretty quickly and and it's coming before the time that's necessary to learn. Uh, about whether these policies work. And there's you know some degree of you know, pandering to voters, give them what they think they want, whether it's what's good for them in the long run or catering to um, some special interests and campaign contributors. Um, and so those are kind of classic biases that we know in political science, but they certainly play out in policy diffusion. Um, and also in that bin, then we put, uh, put down a variety of kind of uh, Rules of thumb or heuristics uh, that policymakers use, and they're similar to ones that we all use. We we heard about this; it sounded fantastic, uh, and therefore we're going to adopt it, um, not because it is fantastic, um, but just because it sounded fantastic. And I'd rather um, you know make that decision pretty quickly to look like uh, you know well, I'm innovative as well, um, instead of doing all of the work that's necessary for learning. And then our third uh, bucket of the four uh, of where things could possibly go wrong is uh, just the nature of political processes. Like I said at the beginning, you know, I'm interested in the politics behind the the spread of public policies. And when we look at the diffusion literature, we see lots of examples where politics kind of got in the way of learning based policy diffusion, where, um, you know, legislators didn't have enough staff. Uh, or they didn't have uh, the specialization within, say, a committee process to learn the ins and outs of some uh, policy areas, but instead were generalists. And again, then we're relying on kind of a, yeah, that sounds good, rather than the cost-benefit analysis or the research that is available uh, to to discern whether the policy is, is working or not. And then our final... Uh, in uh, uh, of the four, in terms of what could go wrong here, uh, is that learning is just one mechanism through which policies spread. Um, Chuck and I kind of have long advocated that there are multiple mechanisms, and we tried to take the hundreds that have been described in the policy diffusion literature and boil them down. We we eventually came up with. Four, um, you know, there's some arguments back and forth about whether there's a fifth or a sixth and so on. But the four that we had were, were learning, uh, which tends to, but not always, uh, be good for the spread of uh, good public policies. Um, but then the other three are competition. Um, and so governments compete with one another. And when you were suggesting maybe we're going to, you know, undercut our programs or try to save costs or do a variety of things along those lines, that's right in line with the competition literature with Um, You know, there's some literature on states in the U.S. fearing they'll become welfare magnets if their programs are attractive enough or this concept of a race to the bottom in some program areas where, you know, we're not really caring about uh, the recipients of some programs or uh, running prisons well uh, and so on. And so uh, the nature of competition and where can we you know, get a little edge and maybe have lower taxes and attract more businesses to our area um, might motivate rather than learning. Uh, The second one uh, in terms of the kind of potentially quite bad mechanisms is uh, imitation. Uh, This is one where. Uh, and I kind of alluded to this before, uh, where we don't spend the time to learn, but instead, um, you know, somebody adopts something and it sounds great, it looks great, it makes them look great, it makes them look innovative, uh, and let's do the same thing here, uh, not because we know that it worked, but because we want to look like uh, the cool kids, we want to look like, you know, those that 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 have adopted these early innovations. Um, and then the, the the final mechanism that we point to, and, and something else that could go wrong, is coercion. Um, We see across, uh, you know, across countries, there is a lot of, uh, okay, could we put on sanctions to coerce uh, somebody's policies here? Um, We see that within, uh, you know, a federal system as well, where the national government might offer grants to uh, the regions or to the localities to get them to do something that they probably wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, Well, if, the policy wasn't particularly good. They do need those uh, coercions. Um, And sometimes the coercion works well. We're not absolute on any of these. Sometimes competition is good. Sometimes imitation just happens to work out. Sometimes that coercion coerces people and countries and governments to do the right thing. But in each of those cases, we can point to many, many instances where no you know those were taking us away from learning those were taking us away from the spread of good public policies and and as such having these other mechanisms through which uh, things spread when we don't have learning uh is really you know hitting on the title of the book
1: i mean coercion is a really interesting one isn't it because it's it's a very emotionally charged word it's one that's bandied around in political discourse quite a lot and um but but you know on some level any attempt to set the agenda on the part of the federal government is could be construed as coercive, right? I mean, I suppose it's difficult to set, a, set some boundaries on that concept. Are you talking here about the more kind of the sort of the idea of punitive federalism and the kind of really antagonistic relationship between feds and state
0: governments here? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's interesting to think what we're trying to accomplish with with federalism, right? So to the extent that we say Not every policy that's good for one state, for example, is good for another state. Uh, The nature of would it work as well, uh, you know, in Virginia as it would in Michigan. Those were the discussions Chuck and I would always have being at universities in the, in those locations. And, and, you know, some policies would work well in both cases. And, and, you know, if the national government were promoting them, that's probably a good thing. Um, but in other cases, what's best for You know, one state or locality is not best for another state or locality and having, you know, that resolved uh, at the national level and then, you know, made uniform um, and likewise made uniform, you know, across countries in the European Union and so on um, is uh, is not always for the best. Um, And in many cases, we would say, okay, well, are there times when the, you know, a particular set of regions or states are not adopting what is in their best interest for some of these other reasons for their own political benefits or their biases. Well, in those cases, then um, some degree of arm twisting or incentives or coercion um, might get them on board. Uh, And we've had numerous examples of that uh, on race as well as other issues in the U.S. Um, where, you know, that coercion was was beneficial to spread uh, policies. Um, but in many cases, it's moving these policies to a more centralized level of government than probably is good, uh, given just the vast variation that takes place across uh, different you know local governments.
1: So I want to pick up on some of the points that you were making earlier on about policy attributes, and and, and connect it, I think, with these, in particular, this idea of policy divisiveness. There's certain sort of policies. Um, you mentioned questions of race, certainly very, very divisive questions. But, but, but just thinking about other sort of public policies that have been particularly uh, divisive and polarized, and and those in particular that attract court scrutiny. I'm thinking here of of private school choice programs. You mentioned school vouchers at one point in there, and it's a particular area of interest to me. And Certainly one of the things that we find in the area of school vouchers is you've got these uh, policymakers engaging in considerable degree of learning that is very iterative, that's very tactical. They're looking at the states, they're, looking at the, they're rewriting their, their uh, policies in order to try and survive court challenge. Um, so the courts are kind of weighing in on this multiple times and they're, they're, they're rewriting these statutes in an attempt to try and um, allow them to pass court muster. Um, and, and so there, there, the policies are becoming more resilient. Um, and the question I had in my mind as I was reading your, your wonderful book was, you know, does that make them good policy? Cause on the one hand there, you know, they, 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 there's time to learn. There are sort of observable experiments, um, in court multiple times, there are favorable incentives. Um, but it seems like the, you know, the reason why there are opportunities for learning here is that they are very divisive and get challenged in court all the time. That seems to be kind of a, you know, a, a, maybe not a characteristic of a good policy, according to that, those early lights. I wonder I whether um, the sort of question of legal challenges and the divisiveness of the policy itself might have, how that might play into these questions.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And, and you know, certainly we discuss in the US how polarized uh, everything is. So, you know, we talk about red states and blue states, those that are more Republican and those that are more democratic, uh, and so on, and, and the nature of uh, the divisions um, and uh, school choice, school vouchers, charter schools are all, you know, all, all fit along those lines as well. When we think about, um, you know, the idea of what would be an optimal scenario for learning, um, you know, would it be that everyone has the same views and the same incentives and, you know, we're all thinking about costs and benefits in the same way. I'm not convinced that that's the case necessarily. right? The the idea that different people are approaching problems through very different lenses, they have different values, they weigh the costs and benefits differently. I think that's that's helpful for a variety of parts of the uh, learning process. It leads to different types of experiments, um, maybe ones that, you know, I wouldn't have naturally thought would be a good idea. someone else thinks is, is brilliant from the beginning, uh, just because of their different perspective and they give it a go. And then the question is, you know, am I in a place where I'm willing to learn, uh, from others, um, or is the political system one in such that you know, I'm kind of urged or forced to to learn from others. Um, And the nature of court challenges there uh, as an overlay is fascinating from this perspective, right? Because, um, you know, part of what the courts are doing is uh, they're saying, you know, there is some overarching agreement that we all had on the procedures uh, or on what's appropriate. uh, And there are some bounds to that uh, in terms of our policy choices Um, and, Let's make sure that you're within those kind of widely agreed upon boundaries, but within those agreed upon boundaries, then, um, you know, some are closer to the edge, uh, some are pushing that um, and the nature of those choices and, you know, kind of the back and forth to overcome challenges, to overcome political scrutiny, to overcome, uh, you know, the ability to make a strong case to voters uh, or to colleagues and so on. I think that's part of this experimental process. Um, And so, you know, while it's not always pointing us in necessarily a a good environment, um, it is something where um, if we think about experimentation where do we get more and more experimentation Um, and it may be in a more divisive and polarized environment where people are trying to develop a particular model that matches their ideology and others have a different ideology and they're developing maybe their best model Mm -hmm. Um, and either at that point we can see okay yeah let's agree to disagree and you know these 20 states will have one policy these 20 states will have another policy and each find something that they believe is good for them based on how they weigh the costs and benefits. Or alternatively, it gets, you know, popped up to a more centralized level. And, uh, you know, each side has put their best foot forward and tried their experiments. Um, And let's let's nationally have a debate uh, and discussion uh, about uh, which of those models would serve us best, uh, you know, on the whole.
1: So I like this, the kind of flexibility, that sounds, Sounds a bit unfair, but this understanding of a good policy has got a degree of flexibility to it in that, you know, you don't have to talk in terms of any particular substantive goal um, and you could talk about policymakers achieving a particular end goal um you know and, and if the, the policy is a good one if it works by its own lights or if it, if it works by by the terms that the policymakers who are setting out this policy have what they intended it to do and they and it does that whatever it is and so you can sort of sidestep the whole morally charged question yeah, of good I, mean, I like bad. and i
0: don't like it right uh, from those exact <laughs> reasons and and why we were struggling so much uh with what do we want to include in our definition um you know even when we think strictly on cost-benefit grounds, uh, you know, a very well-established field in public policy, um, there is always a determination of you know which costs uh, and which benefits to whom, awaited in what ways, um, and those discussions of you know, okay, um, you know, what's the value of a human life in various circumstances that are tough to do in uh, in cost-benefit grounds, um, you know. I don't think that's fully resolved to anybody's satisfaction. And so, you know, having it uh, as a broader discussion and recognizing that as complicated people, we're going to value different aspects of different policies differently. And if we've come to the conclusion that, you know, in our neighborhood, our community, we're going to put the, you know, the educational outcomes of our students well above uh, what the taxpayer costs to homeowners are, because we see a lot of value in that for, you know, the future and how much we're weighing the future. Um, And yet we recognize that others are facing real present struggles and they can't do as much investment in the future and need to spend their resources in other ways, um, that that too uh, may be good public policy. Um, and from that point of view, some degree of, you know, flexibility in thinking, you know, not. I'll just make up whatever criteria I want, um, but I would like to use the criteria that reflect the values in the community over which this policy is governing. Um, that does allow this this variation and this thought about, you know, not only will the policy work here, but if it works the same here, will we find it to be more beneficial than costly given the conditions that we're facing?
1: So um, what about, I mean, situations in which so you've, got this, you've got this great cost benefit analysis vision of, of of what we understand by a good public policy and and, and sort of in line with the goals of the, the policy proponents themselves but um what about situations where the the goal it's the incentive is for the proponents of these policies to Um, obscure that goal. Um, I'm thinking particularly here about, um, say, targeted regulation of abortion providers or some of the um, discourse around gun control um, that might be vulnerable to court challenge as well, Um, uh, uh, that that maybe there are, uh, you know, sort of public safety. But also maybe, I guess, to come back to the education example as well and the school choice thing, you know, this is about benefits to the child, it's not to the school. You know, there are certain things that you have to be careful about how you talk about those policies because they are politically... Um, uh, quite divisive and potentially also legally there are legal challenges as well and so I'm just wondering whether there are it seems that there are sometimes situations where policymakers have very good learning-based reasons to obscure the policy's purposes and effects. Um, There's a wonderful literature which of course I'm sure you know which is the the, that of Suzanne Mettler's sort of idea of the submerged state and the tax expenditures and the the way that this huge uh, there are there are considerable political benefits to expanding the state in all these vis- less visible ways rather than through direct appropriations, but through using the tax system and all these indirect kind of third party delivery mechanisms. Um, so it seems that's, that's, that's been a growth area in recent years. Yes, I Um, mean,
0: and and fascinating from our point of view, right? Because throughout uh, the book, we're talking about, okay, well, what are kind of the ingredients for learning-based policy diffusion? And, you know, among them is these observable experiments. Uh, And then, you know, in terms of policy attributes that would help them spread, again, its observability is a a kind of classic one. Um, And so we're seeing this kind of threaded throughout the book. But then when we think about the nature of the sub- merged state and, you know, policy benefits that people aren't aware of and, you know, taxes, uh, likewise, that are obscured. I, you know, I, I don't think we want to dismiss the idea that, that politicians don't want to be blamed for those, those taxes and kind of spread them out in a variety of interesting ways uh, there uh, that the public isn't always aware of. Uh, when we think about that, that, you know, just is clearly raising a set of trade-offs. Right, uh, and the nature of those trade-offs is there may be a political benefit and maybe a policy benefit uh, from obscuring those in order to build up the coalition, you know, getting people to eat their peas when they might not otherwise want to think they would do that politically. Um, but then we also want to be aware of very much the cost of that. Um, and the cost of that is that if these programs are not particularly observable, uh, and here they don't have to be necessarily observable to every member of the public, um, but observable to uh, policymakers and policymakers who are thinking through those costs and benefits and thinking through whether this is a good, appropriate policy for our you know, situation, um, that if the, they're not even observable at that level, Um, then that does cause some serious problems for the ability to learn uh, and the ability to see the spread of good public policies. And so, you know, when we're talking observability, it's mostly observability to the policymakers and the submerged state uh, literature is more about the observability to those who are kind of on the ground paying the costs and the benefits uh, uh, along those lines. And so I, I guess I'd draw that further distinction as well.
1: Yeah, it's really cent- it, that, that sort of asymmetr- asymmetrical observability is really central to that, isn't it? This sort of idea that it's observable to the interest groups, to policymakers, to elites, but not to the regular public. I mean, I suppose the, trans- the transparency and observability in your framework do play quite an important role, not only with respect to the policymakers, but also w- with respect to what voters understand and, and the sort of Im- the impetus for policymakers to engage in these uh, forms of
0: learning. right. Uh, vote voters as policymakers or policy inputs, either because they're directly voting on some of these uh, pieces of uh, public policy, as we were raising, and you know the the tough on crime three strikes laws in California uh, that that was a, a voter initiative, um, uh, or just uh, you know the incentives that voters place on elected pol- policymakers. Um, you know, and there could be always is a mismatch uh, between the the knowledge of policies uh, and their implication that voters have uh, and that those whose job it is to pay close attention uh, in a representative democracy uh, would have.
1: So you have a a, a bunch of lessons for policymakers in your book. Um, And this is where I think the title, I mean, it's it's such a wonderful eye-catching title, but, you know, it, it's, you've actually got a very positive message in this book, I think. I mean, the, the title makes me think, oh, my goodness, this is going to be a really crushing um, uh, uh, understanding of, 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 of the challenges of of, um, of of policy diffusion and learning. And, of course, you are very clearly articulating those, but there's an optimistic note there, isn't there, um, in that you're saying, well, there are situations in which learning can take place, and there are certain lessons that you have learned about learning. Um, what would you say are the most important of those Um for policymakers at various levels of government,
0: right. So the uh, you know the, tr- the the challenge for for me and for Chuck uh, in writing a book of this title is that we are at our hearts optimists, uh, and we do see many many things that have gone well, uh, and the potential uh, for you know this idea of being embedded in a system, whether it's uh, we were pretty heavy on American federalism in this, but thinking uh, the policy spread across countries as well, uh, also uh, relevant here, um, that there are two sides to this coin. And we wanted to kind of flip and balance that coin and see see where it came up. Um, and uh, doing so, you know, we don't come down too strongly on things are horrible, 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 um, but we do, you know, have, you know, one clear path where things are going well and 18 clear things that could go wrong and, you know, you can do the, the math and the probabilities there, um, but, but we tend to then think, well, okay, let's think through these uh, and across these four, you know, categories of things that could go wrong. Do people have to consistently fall into those same potholes, uh, or are there opportunities where, um, you know, policymakers uh, and those who are involved in these policy decisions could, you know, maybe help steer us in a better direction, get us towards that learning-based policy diffusion, and so we just kind of, you know, step through who are the major actors and, and what could they do here, and so when we think about uh observable experiments one of those ingredients for the learning based spread of uh, of good public policies the observable part uh is something that everybody can contribute to so when the media is involved in reporting on policies they could help us understand more of the costs and benefits uh when the national government uh, is uh, making decisions uh there is an element to which uh they can be supportive of the observable experiments that are done at the state or local level. We have an example floating through where uh, the national government didn't want to regulate smoking uh, in the US uh, directly, uh, but wanted to encourage states to act in this space, especially for youth access to tobacco. And so one of the things they did to make this program more observable uh, was to require that each state ran essentially a sting operation where they sent young people in to try to buy cigarettes um, and then they had to report back to the national government of, you know, what were the results of that uh, so that we could learn, well, okay, for the states that, you know, Adopted particular youth access programs, uh, removing cigarettes from vending machines, removing the sale of single cigarettes, a variety of things along those lines. We could see well, what were the states that uh, did a better job and did a worse job uh, on? their policy outcomes uh, along these lines. So one big set of recommendations is what can we all uh, do or, you know, policy facilitators, the media government uh, to make policies more observable uh, so that we can get some of those, you know, learning based characteristics. You know, there are other recommendations that are just, uh, you know, not so much on the how do we secure the learning based spread, but how do we counter those you know, four big categories of things that could go wrong. Uh, And there it's kind of invest in our institutions comes up uh, in some of them, uh, where we said that, um, you know, many Governments don't have the ability because they don't have the, you know, staff uh, or state legislatures that only meet for a couple months every other year. Uh, they don't. Uh, they just don't have the resources. They don't. Don't pay state legislators uh, in some instances enough that they can, you know, invest in doing the research and finding out uh, what policies are going on elsewhere. That 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 level of, um, of focused. You know it's not just we should grow government uh it's the sense that we can we can make focused investments that will help in that learning process and will avoid some of these uh sorts of concerns and considerations uh that we wanted to raise among our recommendations
1: so there's all sorts of different ways in which you can try and counter some of the obstacles to learning and and and, and the diffusion of good policies uh, around these different states. And I can see that a lot of these, that this is about institutional reforms. Um, uh, uh, but I mean, and you say you're an optimist. Um, I mean, this is a period of time in which we've got really deep affective polarization um, across the US, certainly, but yeah, elsewhere as well, actually, but um, in lots of places. But it's, uh, you know, that that seems a, a major impediment to uh, learning from the other side. If you sort of see that, that, that tribalism, that sense that the other side is... Is um, is the enemy, and 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 policymakers being less willing to listen to proposals from the opposing party? I mean, do you, how optimistic or pessimistic are you in this period of increase? It seems increasing polarization of the likelihood that your lessons will be heeded by policymakers on either side of the ideological
0: spectrum. Um, well, you know, I, I would take that on two fronts. One is, um, you know what does this ideological polarization or partisan polarization mean for uh, whether our recommendations have any traction, but I'd take it much broader than that. What, you know, what, what does this uh, this degree of polarization mean for the spread of good public policies, whatever they are. Uh, And ours are just one form of a recommendation of what we think is good. Um, But there are many, many of these policies that could be good or bad. Um, And there, you know, I would point to some research that I've done recently where, uh, we kind of did this uh, in, a, in, a, in a randomized controlled trial, you know, um, experimental uh, methods, survey experiments approach, uh, where we were able to uh, present some ideas of policies that others were trying in other localities uh, to a variety of local government officials uh, through an email campaign and survey experiments embedded in that and there um, we did observe what we feared which is you know of the more kind of liberal leaning policies the more conservative officials um, you know by their own uh, reckoning of where they stood on the ideological spectrum were less less likely to even want to learn about them we gave some links where you could learn about these policies and so on Um, and what we found there is there were two interventions that we could make uh, that did you know facilitate that ability and that willingness to learn from others even across the ideological spectrum one of those uh, was a report that you know this was tried by a Republican Uh, leaning mayor or city council or city. Um, And so although the policy itself seemed to be liberal leaning, uh, it was tried elsewhere by Republicans. And, you know, that dramatically increased the, the kind of click through, well, I guess I should learn about that too rate. Um, And so, you know, even the degree to which if you win one battle across the political spectrum and you can point to no, no, people are trying this. Um, Let's learn that learning can break through. Uh, And the other intervention uh, that was positive along these lines was when we emphasized that the program was successful Um, because, you know, Okay, you know, I'll dismiss what's, you know, across the ideological spectrum, unless doing so comes at a real cost. Uh, and doing when doing so comes at a real cost, because I'm giving up on things that actually are solving these problems that I care about. Um, you know, that's it, that's a real loss. And and as such, when we were presenting these as big successes, or even moderate successes, uh, people were much more willing, you know, these local government officials were much more willing to, to click on and learn about and find out more uh, about these policies. And so, yep, I'm fearful, um, but I do see that there are paths forward, uh, even in these kind of divisive times. I,
1: I mean, uh, just to take that a little bit further, I mean, the, the sense that um uh the focus of the book inevitably is 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 on is on uh state by state learning looking at different um at their neighbor neighbors and perhaps other states that are further afield and ones are more similar to them uh, around the country but um there is a sort of cross-national element that's kind of uh that, that, that weaves through the book it's sort of it's sort of there in the background i think and i, I was very interested in this speaking as a non-us-based scholar just about the uh uh, but but someone who spends quite a lot of time with U.S. state legislators and all these different state capitals, and wondering how far, in in your view, state legislators are looking beyond the United States itself um, in terms of their understanding of of public policy and 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 possibilities for learning. I mean, are they? Do do you see them as as quite sort of parochial, um in terms of their vision um or or do you see them as 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 really sort of reaching out and 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 looking to other countries around the world for examples when they come to make policy
0: um right so you know i i don't know if it's just sort of a, a a sense of okay, let's only think within the US, which they do, or if it's just a we have 49 other experiments already going on here, why do we need to expand that to hundreds more, Um, as well as the kind of the nature of, well, are things really the same in Belgium as they are in, you know, uh, Delaware, Um, you know, that the nature of that, you know, I don't see much. Uh, in the way of reaching out for examples beyond other states um, and that even goes to the level when we're looking at local policies um, that you know one city will look uh, to its neighbors within the same state um, and less likely to look beyond that state where they look beyond the state it's to you know it's pretty good sized cities looking to very major cities. So there is this element of, you know, kind of looking upward to the bigger or wealthier, uh, you know, uh, nature of of how that learning and diffusion takes place. Um, But there is something about state boundaries uh, that hits localities. And there's something about national boundaries that, at least in the U.S., which I'm familiar with, uh, seems to seems to limit that that degree of learning.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i would mean, just be very interesting to sort of see whether these vision understandings of success elsewhere could have some could help move the needle on some of these um on on, on, on yeah on i mean that it, 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 there
0: there are sort of ways we can think about that right because um one of the paths is more indirect which is you know if there's been a big crisis somewhere and a solution somewhere else um you know the nature of uh how that spreads uh, could be somewhat indirect. So um, there's work, for example, that suggested that um, when other countries are struggling with a particular policy, it's not so much that it would go to the US state or local level, it might go to some discussions in Congress um, or something along those lines. And uh, a lot of evidence that even when things are raised in Congress or raised in the national media, uh, that does enough to elevate the salience of the issue that localities and states start wrestling with it as well. So there may be this more two-step process um, involved there, uh, and especially on uh, issues that are potentially of high salience.
1: So tell me, um, you have mentioned you've got some RCTs, uh, some of your uh, great RCTs you've been doing recently, um, uh, but I'd love to know more about um what's next for you and for chuck as well um whether you you've got um uh projects connected with this one that you're currently working on things that are sort of taking the conversation further um we've got something in the works together what's what's next for you both
0: uh, great question um and uh, you know we have this kind of co-author relationship that uh is a, either of us has any great ideas we <laughs> think about you know is this appropriate for the uh, for the others to be involved uh in and and so on um I have one project that I'm working on that's really kind of in the weeds methodological. Um, a lot of the diffusion studies uh, have been uh, done through kind of data gathering uh, and event history analysis uh, at the state government level, uh, and those event history analyses, you know, when we're thinking across these different mechanisms of diffusion, we just have this tough time saying, okay, did One state adopt a policy that was found in another state because they did the learning, or it, was it because of competition or imitation or, you know, these other mechanisms? Uh, and so in a, in some work that I'm doing with uh, Bill Berry at Florida State uh, and some others, um, we're actually running simulations where we simulate a kind of true underlying data generating process, and then we see the extent to which we can actually detect that using the methods that everybody's been using in this field for 30, 30 to 40 years. Uh, and uh, it'll come out maybe with another troubling title, uh, which is, uh, potentially, you know, we're getting it wrong a lot okay. of the time. Um, and, uh, and, and, we need to reassess what methods we're using in detecting, uh, these sorts of considerations, uh, and what's actually going on, uh, in the diffusion, uh, literature from the kind of quantitative end of things. Um, so, you know, be on the lookout for that. Uh, Chuck is working endlessly and, uh, and has a, just a tremendous stream of young scholars and graduate students that he's working on on a variety of, of these fronts. So um, you know, keep, keep on the lookout there as well.
1: Will do, this all sounds fa- fantastic. Um, Craig Volden, thank you so much for speaking with me. Um, This has been really great. Um, The book is Why Bad Policies Spread and Good Ones Don't, um, published with Cambridge University Press last year. Do take a look. Um, uh, Thank you so much for joining the conversation.
0: Thanks, Ursula. It's been tremendous.